Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Life is really a series of transitions and changes. We go from being held all the time to uh, wanting to be on our own, rolling around and crawling, walking. We move from one level of school to another. We switch careers and jobs, our relationships change, and then most of that kind of reverses as we we head towards life's end. Life is a series of, of transitions, of changes, and really the time of year we're in right now kind of highlights that, because many of us are going through a season of change currently, whether celebrating a graduation uh, this weekend, we had a number of schools in the area that had graduations at various stages, and that brings with it transition, a change to, to a new school, uh, change for the, for the student, change for the family. Uh, for some of you, that it may be your, your uh, first child heading off, maybe your last child heading off, and that's a transition, that's a change. We're transitioning into summer, uh, which brings a different schedule, brings uh, vacations, uh, for some brings additional work uh, for others. Uh, we're transitioning from kind of hockey and basketball season into baseball season. I mean, the Cardinals just found out two weeks ago that people have been playing baseball since April. <laughs> we're figuring it out, though. We'll get there. Give it time. Give it time. There's all sorts of changes and transitions that are, that are happening right now. And that's not to mention the ones that happen at any time of year. The birth of a new child brings with itself a whole series of changes, not not just diaper changes, changes in almost every area of life. The loss of a loved one, a health diagnosis, a move, a new job. Life is really a series of transitions. Here's the thing about that. Transitions are vulnerable. Transitions are times of vulnerability. They're times of weakness. The research on marriage suggests that there's two main kind of danger zones for a married couple when it comes to uh, significant conflict and even divorce. It's the first couple years of marriage, and it's uh, years about 18 to 23. And when we look at that, we see those are times of major transitions. The transition into married life, oftentimes the transition into the first year of having a child. And on the, the other side, it's the transition of the kids leaving the house. And both of those transition areas result in a vulnerability, uh, a a, a danger zone for couples. When you look at at kids, and especially in school, when kids tend to have the most behavioral problems, it tends to be whenever there's something else going on in their life, when they're they're at a new school, uh, when their parents are in conflict, when, when they're dealing with a move, the addition of another family member, the loss of a family member. 
those transitions, those changes result in vulnerability that is acted out behaviorally, but it is experienced by every single member of the family because transitions are vulnerable. I mean, even within the church, we look at the, the two uh, kind of big drop-off points for children after they're, after they're baptized in the faith. The two main places where we end up uh, losing or disconnecting from our young people is after confirmation, about age 13, and it's about age 18 after high school graduation. Those are times of tremendous transition. And transitions are vulnerable. And we can look at the research, we can look at the psychology, the sociology behind it all day to try to figure out that, that this is the case. But the question is, why? Our reading from 1 Peter actually lets us know why. This is verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. See that, that image of a prowling lion. The lion doesn't go after the animal that is safe in the middle of the strength of the herd. No, who does the lion prowl after? The one who is disconnected. The one who is weak, the one who is vulnerable, the one who is off on their own. That's why at each of these transition points, when we have separated ourselves from the strength of the body of Christ, we see these vulnerabilities at play. In a marriage in those first couple years, oftentimes, uh, Getting involved in a church home is not the main priority, especially uh, we'll, we'll get the kid baptized, but then we won't see you for a while until after they can be a little bit more behaved, they're a little less loud. And what happens is we isolate ourselves. We become vulnerable, and we give the devil a foothold to continue to tempt. Same thing at, at, at the other side of the spectrum, when... when uh, kids leave the nest, that oftentimes becomes time where we disconnect. We've been so involved in the kids' activities that we, we now feel a disconnect uh, from God's people, from the church itself. When a student finishes confirmation, oftentimes it's, well, I, I've graduated, I'm done. And, and we, we miss out on that transition into the adult life of the church, into, into high school youth ministry. That transition is vulnerable. When we're isolated, when we're separated, when we're alone, it doesn't matter if we have the entire catechism memorized, Satan is still going to attack and tempt, and on our own strength, we don't stand a chance. Same thing after high school. We go off to college. Oftentimes, very low on the priority list is I'm going to find a church home to get plugged into. And yet when we're isolated, when we're separated, when we're alone, that is when Satan does his most dangerous work. See, it's in these times of transition where we're vulnerable, we tend to lean away from the gifts of God. We tend to think, I can do it on my own. I'm doing just fine. I'll get plugged in later. 
And what happens is later becomes pushed farther and farther back as we become more and more convinced that I'm doing just fine on my own. See, transitions are vulnerable. Not just for the sake of our relationships, not just for for the sake of our routines, our habits, our behavior, but for the sake of our faith. And so if transitions are vulnerable, if, if they're this danger area, if change is bad, the solution should be, well, let's just not change anything. Right? That's a good Lutheran answer. Let's change nothing. And yet, try as we may, kids keep getting older. Hey, the amount of times I heard that this past week at eighth grade graduation, I remember it was just yesterday these kids were in kindergarten. And yet time marches on. Transitions, change happens whether we like it or not. We still live in a sinful, broken world. Diagnosis happens. It doesn't call ahead and say, hey, is this a good time for a health crisis? No, it just happens. So we can't sit back and, and simply ignore the change around us. The other thing we would really like to hold on to is, if I just knew exactly what was going to happen, that would be great. Any of you guys planners in this room? Yeah. So if I could just plan, I know every, every pitfall, every snowball, if I, if, I, if I could clearly see what was happening, then everything would be just fine. I'd be able to coast through this change, this season of transition, no problem. And yet clarity is very rarely what we receive in a change like that. There was a, a famous ethics professor named John Cavanaugh who towards the, the end of, of his uh, time as a professor, he, he wasn't sure what was coming next. And so he, he had been teaching ethics for so long, he knew that at the time the most ethical person in the world was, was Mother Teresa. So in his final sabbatical from teaching ethics, Dr. Kavanaugh went uh, to go see Mother Teresa. He went to go serve in the house of the dying for three months. And when he finally got a chance to meet Mother Teresa, he asked her to pray for him. And she said, what would you like me to pray for? And he said, clarity. I need to know what I'm supposed to do next. And Mother Teresa replies, no, I'm not going to pray for that for you. And Dr. Kavanaugh was taken aback. He said, wait, wait, but you always seem to have clarity. You always know what you're supposed to do next, everything that's supposed to come. He said, I just want what you have. Mother Teresa replied, no, very rarely in my life have I had clarity. I never know from one day to the next what's going to happen here. What I do have is trust. So I will pray for you, but not for clarity. I will pray that you trust in God. See, clarity, knowing every point along the way, knowing everything that's going to happen, not only isn't possible in this life, it's not actually what we need. Because we would end up like Jonah, where he's given a very clear plan, and he goes, I don't want to do that. I'm going to do my own thing. Clarity is not the solution. Trust is the solution. In the midst of vulnerability, in the midst of change, for us to trust in God, to trust in His plan, to take 
the steps of obedience to walk in the path that he has laid out for us, even when we don't know all the steps in between. And trust is what God gives to us. See, another way to say trust is faith. And faith is a gift from God. Faith faith is what God works in our hearts through His Holy Spirit. This is what Peter has been building up to this entire letter. It's the work of God that you are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a people of God's own possession. That you have been called to belong to Him. It's it's God's work as He rescues us, as He saves us, as He restores us. He gives us His Holy Spirit. He creates faith. He gives us trust. And oftentimes we leave trust just in that camp that it's this passive thing that we receive from God. And it absolutely is that. I mean, that's the essential nature of faith. But here in chapter 5, Peter actually talks about trust in an active sense. Previously throughout the, the, the book and throughout the epistles, most of the verbs in the epistles, God is the one doing the action. God calls, God saves, God sanctifies. But notice here in First Peter 5, the verbs are done by us. Again, because of what God has done, because of the faith He has given us, because He has called us and sanctified us and saved us, we then live out in active trust. See, this living trust, it's like if you've ever done a trust fall, where you've got a whole group of people that have got their arms out there behind you, and you're standing up there with your back to them, and what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to say, guys, I trust you. And walk away, right? No, you're supposed to fall. You're supposed to do something. Trust is, is yes, it, it's a state of being, but it is also active. Trust is lived out by taking the next step in obedience. Trusting the process in addition to the person. And so what Peter calls us to, as people that that live in in times of change and transition, he calls us, yes, to trust, to put our trust, put our faith in the one who gave us faith. And he calls us to live that out, to have a living trust in our Savior. Verse 6, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. See, to trust in God, to actively trust, we have to recognize we need Him. I can't do this move. I can't do this new job. I can't do this new season. I can't do parenting, marriage. I can't do any of this on my own. Lord, I need You. That we would be humble we'd recognize our need for God. That's the first step of active trust is knowing I'm not going to try to do this on my own. I'm not going to step away from God's gifts. I'm going to lean into them. Because it's the very thing that I need to keep going. 
Martin Luther, Luther used to say, on days where I'm so busy I can't possibly do anything more, I have to pray twice as long. I'm so busy I have to pray for twice as long as I did before because prayer is the very thing that enables us to get through whatever the change, the difficulty is. We don't step away from the gifts of God. We lean into them because we know that God has what we need. Verse 7, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. See, the reason we want clarity, the reason we don't want things to change is because we're worried. Change is terrifying because what if it doesn't go well? What, what, if, what, what if things don't end up the way that I want? What if I, I made the wrong choice? What if, what if, what if? What if is the question of worries and those worries can multiply constantly and they rob us of our peace they rob us of our joy they rob us of any clarity we thought we had and oftentimes within the church we go to philippians 4 we go to matthew 6 and we say don't worry don't be anxious and then we sit there and say how's that going well i'm still worried i'm still anxious that those passages drive us to first peter 5 which says what do we do when i can't stop worrying Cast those anxieties, cast those worries onto Him. We are not meant to hold them. We are not meant to figure it all out. We're meant to simply say, Lord, I'm worried about this. This is the thing that I fear in this, in this change. This is what I'm worried about. And not just to bring it to our Heavenly Father in prayer, but to bring it to His people. See, here's verse 9. Resist the devil. Stand firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Peter doesn't point out that others are suffering simply so that we, we feel bad for them too. But Peter points out that we may be united, that we may share in the burdens of others. When we're worried, when we're anxious, when we're going through a time of change, of vulnerability, we're not meant to walk through it alone. To trust in God in the midst of change is to trust in His church, in His people. It's to trust your spouse to let them know what you're worried about. It's to trust your friends to say, hey, things are not going perfectly great. It's to be okay walking in the church without a smile because that's how you actually feel. To trust in God is to trust His people with your burdens. That we may pray for one another. That we may carry them with one another. That we may walk through life not pretending things are okay, but recognizing that we serve a God who is with us every step of the way that we can trust him. That yes, his people may let you down. They, they, they will. We will. But that your God never does. He works his forgiveness and his grace even in the midst of the failure of his own people. See, this is where Peter is leading us towards. Is that yes, trust involves humbling ourselves, coming before God, casting our anxieties on him, trusting his people, walking through life together. But ultimately, it leads us back towards the very place that faith is found, is receiving from the God who acts for us. 
Here's how Peter finishes the section. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. God will restore. God will confirm. God will strengthen. God will establish you. Your sufferings, the change, the vulnerabilities last but for a moment. And at the end of the story, God will establish and restore and heal and save. We may not know every page of the story, but we know the ending. And we can trust in the salvation of our God through His Son, Jesus Christ. That we know the ending of the story because Jesus lives, you will live also. We can trust in that and we can also trust Him in every step between them. We may not have clarity as to where exactly that step is leading, but we know who goes with us. We know the gifts that God has given us to sustain us on the journey. And so whatever the transition is that you're going through, whatever the change in your life, whether it's something you chose or something that simply happened to you, lean in to the gifts of God. You can trust Him. You can trust Him because He is carrying you more than us holding on to God. God is holding on to you. There was a a woman who lay dying in her home. Hospice had been called. And so her children were gathered around and the nurse was explaining uh, to the kids what was going on. And one of the sons looked at his mom and said, man, she is sinking fast. And at that, mother opened her eyes, looked right at her son and said, I'm not sinking. You can't sink when you're standing on the rock. That is true for the end of our lives. We can trust in God. We can stand on the rock of ages. And it's true at every point in between. We can trust in our God. We can trust in His gifts. We can lean into His people, lean into His means of grace, lean into His word and sacraments and expect them to sustain us no matter the trial. Because at the end of the story, as we stand on the rock of ages, our God restores, He heals, He saves. You can trust Him. Amen. And may the peace of God which passes all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus until He calls you home. Amen. We continue with our hymn of response, When Peace Like a River.